doing a fantastic job of leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. I love that song that we just sang, and um, our worship team always does a good job with all of these worship songs that they bring before us, and um, that makes it very powerful because of the work and the effort that they put into it. But let me take, tell you what makes it um, true and, and, and powerful for our lives in a life-changing way. It's all because these songs that we're singing are based upon the Word of God. See, if it's not based upon the Word of God, it has no power, it has no meaning. But when it has its foundation in the truth of what God says, then that makes all the difference. Now that song we just sang about was, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? Because I'm a child of God. How many of you know, the Scripture says in Romans 8, 15, that He has not given us the spirit of fear again to bondage, but He has given us the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So now, because I have this Daddy God, this Abba, Father, because I have placed my faith in Jesus and been born again in the family of God. I don't have to fear anything that might come my way because how do you know God is big enough to handle anything that happens to me? Can you say amen to that? He's big enough. We, we learned about that this morning in our men's group, man, how big God is and, man, how he is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our service. And, um, I'm so thankful for that this morning. We've been preaching through the book of Acts. And this morning, we're going to take a break from the book of Acts. And I want to get back to that next week. But the Lord just impressed me to go in a different direction this week. So please turn with me to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7. We're going to start reading in verse number 15. Now, this morning, the Lord Jesus gives us, in the first word of Matthew 7 verse 15, a warning. A warning that we must heed. He says, beware. Now, let me tell you what we believe about Jesus around here at Mount Zion Baptist Church. We believe that he is the second in the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe he is God the Son and he is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus holds the preeminence. And what I mean by that, according to the book of Colossians, that he created all things. By him were all things made, and for him were all things made. Now, if you believe that with me this morning, say amen. That's who Jesus is. He's the sovereign God of the universe. John chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there wasn't anything made that was made unless it was made by Him in verse number 3. So Jesus is the sovereign God of the universe. Now, if the sovereign God of the universe tells us that we as the people of God need to beware, then let me say something to you folks. We need to heed that warning. If there's ever been a warning that we need to take note of, we need to take note of the warning that comes from the sovereign God who has all knowledge at all times in every place throughout the world. <laughs> and so we've got, we've got to listen to it. We've got to heed the warning that he gives. And Jesus says, beware. I was reading just this past week at some warnings throughout history that have gone unheeded and it caused people dearly. Many of you may remember a man by the name of Captain Smith. He was the captain of the great ship Titanic. 
He received a radio message on the maiden voyage of Titanic that they were entering into icy waters. It came to him on a piece of paper. He looked at the piece of paper and because he was prideful in the ship that he had and he thought it was unsinkable, he took that piece of paper, he crumbled it up and put it in his jacket pocket. Just a few hours later, 1,495 people went to a watery grave in the icy Atlantic Ocean all because Captain Smith didn't heed the warning that he was entering into icy waters. We need to heed warnings when warnings are given. Some of you may have heard of Sergeant Joseph Lockhart. Sergeant Joseph Lockhart was sitting December the 5th, 1941 in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. And as he was sitting there at his radar screen, he started seeing some bleeps come across the screen there and he knew it was a squadron of airplanes. And so he called his commanding officer and he said to him, I'm seeing here a squadron of airplanes headed our way. And the commanding officer told him to forget it. Just a few hours later, 3,000 American soldiers were killed at Pearl Harbor. All because a warning went unheeded. All because someone said, beware, we need to take note of what's going on. And, uh, and they missed the message. They didn't heed the warning and people lost their lives. Well, Jesus gives us the same kind of warning uh, even to a greater degree here in Matthew chapter number 7. These things that I've talked to you about are great catastrophes. And I hope and pray that uh, somehow, some way... Um, Listen, th those people who are affected by that, or I've gotten on past it, but I want you to know the, the warning Jesus gives, if it's not heeded, th th there's even greater damage to be done. This morning, I want to talk to you about what Jesus himself calls the pseudo-saints, the false prophets. We know that the word pseudo means that which is false, that which is not real. And Jesus said, we need to look out for those who are praising Jesus with their lips on Sunday morning, but living like hell on Monday morning. Je Jesus says, we need to keep an eye out for those who are dressing up like sheep, but they're actually wolves doing everything they can to destroy God's people and what God has planned for his church. And so he, he gives us a warning about pseudo-saints that we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to give you three points. First of all, this morning I want you to notice the clothes they wear. Look with me in verse number 15 of Matthew chapter number 7. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, watch this now, they are ravening wolves. He says that these pseudo-saints, these false saints that come in sheep's clothing, they're, they're, they're doing nothing but what some of our children and maybe even some of our adults might have do this Halloween. They're going to dress up in a costume. It's not really who they are. They're just playing the game of dress up. And so they put on the sheep's clothing to act like the sheep even though they're ravening wolves. Now, he's talking all about false prophets. Not only did Jesus tell us to beware of false prophets, but all throughout the scripture we find the warning to beware of false prophets. Come with me if you will. Uh, keep your place there in Matthew chapter 7. And let's look over to Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28, what the apostle Paul says here to the church at Ephesus. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased 
with his own blood. Now look at love verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, watch this now, not sparing the flock. So according to the Lord Jesus, we ought to beware of the pseudo-saints, the wolves in sheep's clothing. But according to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, we are to beware of those who come in falsely under false pretenses and try to discredit and disrupt everything that God is doing. He goes on and says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, flip over there with me. I want you to see it in your own copy of the Word of God. I want you to know that I'm telling you truth. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, and let's start with verse number 13. Watch what he tells us there. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves, watch this now, into the apostles of Christ. Now, let me tell you what I believe Paul is saying. He's saying that these folks are doing everything they can to fool everybody else. Amen? See, that's why they put on the sheep's clothes if they're wolves. They're doing everything they can to fool everybody else, but they're also fooling them on selves. He says they're transforming themselves. How do you know I can't transform myself into a, into, into a child of God, and you can't transform yourself into a child of God? That comes by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. These people are not trying, only trying to fool everybody else. They're trying to fool them on self. I love what J. Vernon McGee says. He says it like this. He says we can fool others. He says that we can even fool ourselves. But I'll tell you what you'll never do. You'll never fool God. You'll never fool God. And the Apostle Paul says they're trying to fool themselves, change them own selves into the Apostle of Christ. He says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And so I want you to know, according to the authority of Scripture, by what Jesus himself says, we need to beware of the pseudo-saints, the false prophets. According to what Paul says, we need to beware of those who are like ravening wolves. We need to beware of those who are trying to transform themselves into an angel of lights, even though they're in the darkness. Uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee also says this. He says, Satan's line of attack against the American church is not persecution. We're not seeing a whole lot of that. We see it from time to time here and there in uh, separate instances, and, we, and that may grow more in the future, but uh, that's really not Satan's main line of attack against the American church. It's not persecution, but it's infiltration. I love that. He's infiltrating the church. He's putting false pseudo-saints in the church to do his work. They've got clothes on, the Bible says. They're like uh, wolves who've put on sheep's clothing. Now, take your Bibles. Look with me in the book of Jude just a moment. I, I want to share with you one verse there that gives us three different types of pseudo-saints that all of us need to take note of. Jude, verse number 11. Look what Jude says. This whole book of Jude, it's only one chapter, 25 verses. It's all about false prophets because false prophets were all over the church of that day, but I can tell you they're all over the church today too. Satan is still doing his work of infiltration. He does it well. Jude gives us a description in verse number 11 of three types 
of false problem, false prophets of pseudo-saints. He says in verse number 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. That's the first group that I want you to notice. Those who have gone in the way of Cain. Now you remember who Cain is. If you don't remember who Cain is, I want you to go back and read in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel were brothers, and they had a mom and daddy called Adam and Eve. That was the children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Now, Cain and Abel um, had two separate jobs. The Bible says that Cain was a tiller of the ground. And the Bible says that Abel was a keeper of the flock. And that Abel was keeping his flock, Cain was tilling the ground, and it came time for these two boys to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. And so the Bible says that Cain brought what he had grown in his own ground uh, to the Lord and he gave it to him as a sacrifice. And, and, and the, the, the Bible says the Lord wasn't pleased with the sacrifice of Cain. And the Bible says that Abel brought his offering and he bought the firstlings of the flock and brought it there before the Lord and the Lord was pleased with the offering of Abel. Does everybody remember that story? And if you remember, Cain got very angry at his brother, got very jealous at his brother. And the Lord told Cain, he said, all you've got to do is give the right offering. All you've got to do is bring a, a, a lamb without spot or blemish unto me, and that'll be sufficient. That's what I need. That's all you've got to do. But what did Cain do? He chose not to bring uh, the, the right offering. He chose to kill his brother. Now let me tell you what Cain represents as far as the pseudo-saints, the false prophets go. The, Cain represents those who would do everything they can to pervert the gospel. Now what do I mean by that? Cain was all about what he could do. See, he had worked of the ground, and man, he had done everything he could to grow the best crops, and I'm sure they were magnificent crops, and he brought them before the Lord. But now listen, Abel's offering was pleasing unto the Lord because it pointed unto Jesus. It pointed unto the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And God said, I am pleased with that because all that was in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. And that was a top of Christ. He's saying, I'm pleased with that offering because it points to Jesus. Cain couldn't, wasn't okay with that. He had worked so hard. He had done everything he could do. And when he brought it before the Lord, the Lord wasn't pleased. Let me tell you something, folks. There are people all over churches, all over America that are working and doing absolutely everything they can to make themselves right with God through religion. But what they really need is relationships. And there's a difference. Listen, we're not about being religious people. We're about having a relationship with God that changes our lives. See, religion is man's feeble attempt to make themselves right with God by their own self-righteous works. A relationship to God happens when you place your faith in Jesus. You're born again in the family of God. He gives you a new nature. Your want-tos change. And listen, it changes then how you live your life. I don't work to get saved. I work because I am saved. I don't work to gain God's favor. I work because I've experienced the amazing grace of God and He's given me His favor even though I didn't deserve it. And so, do you see the difference? Cain was doing everything he could to pervert the gospel by doing it his own way through his own self-righteousness. What I can do, I'm going to bring to God. And if God don't like it, I'm just going to kill my brother. That was his attitude. My goodness. Cain's idea was what someone said, culture before Calvary. That's right. We've got a lot of people 
who are what I like to call social Christians. They come to church on Sunday. They've probably signed a card and maybe even been through a baptistry, but their heart's never been changed. They're still living the same way they've always lived. They're still just as mean as they've always been. They still got the same thoughts and desires that they've always had because, listen, on the inside, they've not been made new in Christ. Billy Graham says it like this. He said when he was living that he thought that upwards of 75% of the church was probably lost sitting on a church pew every Sunday. Why? Because they've went the way of Cain. They're trying to do their own thing through their own works to make them own selves right with God when all we have to do is trust in what Jesus has already done for us. So some are going the way of Cain. Then he gives us another man. Look at verse number 11 of the book of Jude and it says, They have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam. The Greedily after the error of Balaam. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. What does that mean? Well, you'll find that story in Numbers chapter 29. There was a king of Moab called Balak, and he wanted everything. I mean, what he wanted to do more than anything else was to destroy the people of God. They were a thorn in his side in many different ways. And Balak, the king of Moab, came to Balaam, who was a prophet, and he asked Balaam to cast a curse among, upon the, the people of Israel. And Balaam knew what God had said, that those who curse Israel will be blessed, and those who bless Israel will be, or those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. And so he said, there's no way I'm blessing the nation, or cursing the nation of Israel. I know what God has said. And Balak came back and he said, well, I'll pay you some money for it. And he still wouldn't do it. And he came back and up the end, he said, I'll give you some more money. And so Balaam started thinking, how can I not curse Israel but still make money. So listen what he did. He went back to Balak. You can go back and read this in Numbers 29 for yourself. He went back to Balak, the king of Moab, and he said I'll tell you what you do. I'm not going to curse Israel, but you can get them to curse themselves. See, if you'll get them to fall into sin, then God will curse them and I won't have to. And then uh, Balak paid Balaam a lot of money for that. And Balaam made money over um, the, the, uh, the, the truth of really what God had said. Over uh, being a prophet. Now listen to me. I want you to get this. Some have went the way of Cain as far as false prophets go. They've tried to pervert the gospel. Some have went after the greed of Balaam and they've prostituted the gospel. The gospel has become nothing more than a way to make money. Amen. I had a man tell me one time, he said, I'll tell you what, uh, preacher, there's been more money made off the Bible than probably anything else. And when he said that, it really made me mad, though I started talk, thinking about it. And I got home and started thinking about that, and I thought, you know what, you're right. There's a lot of people who have made money off the things of God. Now listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with God uh, giving you a living as a, as a man of God, being in the ministry. That's all well and good, and that's scriptural. But what I'm saying is, listen, they had rather make money than please God through preaching truth. And that happens everywhere. Some have went after the way of Cain. Some went after the way of Balaam. Some went after the way of Korah. Look at uh, verse number 11. It says in verse number 11, And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now the word Korah there is spelled C-O-R-E in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's spelled C-O-R-A-H. And you'll find that story in Numbers 16, verses 22 through 24. Korah came against Moses and Aaron. 
And he was continually talking against them to the people. Anytime Moses was up preaching to the people, Korah was going right behind him in rebellion, trying to undo everything that Moses had done. And I'm going to tell you something. This type of pseudo-saint, this type of false prophet is everywhere throughout churches all over America. Anytime God's man stands up and gives the truth of the word of God, there's always going to be someone in the spirit of Korah that comes along and brings rebellion his way. Happens all the time. So we've got to understand. We've got to know if we're going to beware of the pseudo-saint, what they're going to look like. And the book of Jude tells us. They'll go after the way of Cain. They'll do everything they can to pervert the gospel. They'll go after the way of Balaam and do everything they can to prostitute the gospel and make money uh, all over the things of God. And then they'll go after the way of Korah. They're going to stand in rebellion to the word of God being preached. That's the pseudo-saint. That's the clothes they're wearing. Then he goes on and says something else in Matthew chapter number 7. Flip back over there with me. Matthew chapter 7. Not only I want you to see the clothes they have on, but I also want you to see the condition of the fruit they bear. Verse number 16, Matthew 7 says, You shall know them, how? By their fruits. He says, Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree cannot bring forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So you'll know the, the, the tree according to the condition of the fruit that it bears. The good tree bears good fruit. And the bad tree bears bad fruit. Now let me say something to you. The fruit of the tree is determined by the root of the tree. If you don't have the right root, you're never going to get the right fruit. Now what do I mean by that? For us to bear the fruit of a child of God, we have to be rooted in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. For us to bear the fruit of a child of God, listen, we must be rooted and grounded in Him. The Bible teaches that all throughout uh, the New Testament. Let me tell you what I know about a, a, a bad tree with bad fruit. You can do absolutely nothing with a bad tree that's got a bad fruit unless you change its root. You're never going to make it a good tree from being a bad tree. You can't do it by transplanting it. Amen. You can move it from one place to another place, but guess what? If it's a bad tree with a bad root, it's going to bear some bad fruit. You can't cultivate it. You can't go and prune it up and cultivate the soil around it and fertilize it. You can't do any of that even and make a bad tree that's got a bad root that's bearing bad fruit bear good fruit. You're not going to change it. Let me tell you something else you can't do. You can't transplant it. You can't cultivate it. Folks, listen to me. You can't decorate it. And a lot of people try to do that. They'll take that old man, that sinful man that's never been washed clean by the blood of Jesus and they'll put a new suit of clothes on them and they'll clean up good and they'll do everything they can in their own power to act right and clean them own selves up. But guess what? The bad tree with a bad root will bear bad fruit. You can't transplant it, move it from one place to another. You can't even cultivate it. You can't decorate it. What do you got to do? The root has to be changed. That person's nature 
has to be changed. And how many of you understand, you are given a new nature when you are born again in the family of God? The Bible says that we are given a spirit nature. Amen. See, when you get saved, a lot of stuff happens. Your sins are washed away. Your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. But let me tell you what else happened. The Bible says you are baptized into the body of Christ by the precious Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. The Holy Spirit comes in and sets up residence within you. You are now the temple of God himself. God lives in the believer. Wow. Now listen to me. When God comes in through the person of the Holy Spirit, he gives you a new nature. See, the first nature I had was a sinful fleshly nature that came from Papa Adam. <laughs> Amen? That new nature that I've been given comes when I place my faith in Jesus. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me give you a verse. First Corinthians chapter number 15. Let's look down at verse number 21. He says, For since by man came death, by man came also, watch this now, the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, watch this, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. See, I was born with the nature of Adam, with that sinful nature that separated me from God. I was born spiritually dead, the Bible says, in trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2. But when I trusted in Christ, I was made alive. How? By the regeneration of the Spirit of God. He come into my heart and life and made a difference on the inside that has made a difference on the outside. That's what happens for the child of God. Your nature changes. Your root changes. That then enables you to bear good fruit. See, not only does the root determine the fruit. But now listen. The fruit reveals the root. The good tree bears good fruit, the bad tree bears bad fruit, and the only way that you can change the fruit is to change the root. You've got to be rooted and grounded in Jesus. We need to see the clothes they've got on. We need to see the condition of the fruit. There's no doubt about that, but let me give you another one. You also need to see the conclusion of the pseudo-saint. Look in Matthew chapter 7. Verse number 20, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them, Jesus says. And then verse 21, he says something that all of us need to take note of. He says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, what is the will of the Father in heaven? The will of the Father in heaven is that we trust in his Son, the Lord Jesus. See, that's why he sent him in the first place. 
For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So why did God give us His Son so that we might be saved? How are we saved? We are saved when we believe in Christ. So what is the will of the Father? Why did Jesus come? So that we might believe in Jesus. Amen. And so He says... Those who are entering into the kingdom will be the ones who've done the will of my Father, those who have trusted in the Son. Verse 22. He says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. Now I want to share something with you folks. Take note of this. Look what it says. It says three things here in verse um, number 22. He says, First of all, they'll say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? What does it mean to prophesy? In the name of the Lord. Well, it means to speak about God, and it, speak, it means to also speak the Word of God. Do you know, according to the, what the Bible is saying right here, that there'll be many on the day of judgment that's going to say, uh, Lord, we spoke about you, we spoke your Word, but they're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven? Let me tell you why that is. Because, folks, when it comes to you actually having a relationship with Jesus... It's not as much about what you say, but what you do. See, we can all say anything. But what we do reveals really what root we have and determines the fruit we bear. Amen? That's why Jesus said it like this, John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. What he's saying is, your love for me is not determined by what you say, but by what you do. See, it ought to bother you if you claim to be a child of God and you're in church on Sunday praising Jesus with your lips, but then you leave church on Sunday and when you get out of this place, you go out and live like hell on Monday. Something's not right there. And Jesus said, your love for me is shown by not just what you say, but what you do. And don't get me wrong now, I'm all for praising God in here with our lips. We need to be doing that. We're going to be doing that. We're going to continue to make that our purpose right here in this place. But let me say something to you. If what I do with my life don't match what I've said with my lips in here, if what I do with my life on Monday don't match what I've said in my lips, it don't matter what I've said in here, does it? And so you can't just say it and it be real. Listen to me. If it's real, it's going to show up in how you live your life. When nobody else is looking, when it's just you and the Lord, he goes on and says, we've prophesied in your name and in thy name we've cast out devils. Now, how I many you know that's a good thing to prophesy and to cast out devils? To, to prophesy means to speak about God or speak the word of God. To cast out demons means they were doing spiritual things. You say, Roger, well, these people who were false prophets and pseudo saints, 
Were they, were they actually casting out demons? Yes, they were. Let me tell you how. Not by their power, but because they were casting them out in the name of Jesus. See, the name of Jesus has so much power that even someone using it wrongfully, God can still use that and bless in that situation. That's amazing to me, but that's the way it works. God is able. See, anything I do, it's not done by my power anyway. It's done by His. But these people, the Bible says, were casting out demons. They were doing spiritual things, but they were false prophets. They were pseudo-saints. They weren't real. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. So guess what? You can come to church. You can sit on a church pew. You can go through a baptistry. I think Miss Agnes said one time, and I loved it. She said on a Wednesday night service, uh, she said, you can be baptized so many times that you know the tadpoles and every creek around here by name. But if you've never trusted in Jesus, you ain't been saved. And that's right. I ain't got nothing against baptism. I love to baptize. We're going to baptize today, and I'm looking forward to it. But I'm just telling you, it takes the blood of Christ to wash away sins, and that's only made real to you by grace through faith, not through a baptistry. So you can do religious, spiritual things and still not know the Lord. Then he goes on and says something else. He says, and in your name done many wonderful works. There are going to be a lot of people in that day that said, Lord, I've been baptized, I went to church, I helped people as much as I could help people. And you know what Jesus is going to say? Look at the next verse. And then when I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Folks, it's time that we all get real with where we're at with Jesus. Today, i got to ask you, in whom have you trusted? Has there been a moment in your life where you know you've been born again into God's family? Has there ever been a time when the Holy Spirit of God convicted you of your sin and you understood your great need for a Savior? Has there been a time when you fell down hopeless and helpless at the cross and said, Lord, I need you? I remember when that happened for me. And, that, and if that's never happened for you, Folks, listen, today's the day. Maybe this message was for you because I had something completely different. I was planning on going. But, but the Lord impressed strongly upon me. This is what we needed this morning. And so I want you to understand today, in Christ alone, your sins are forgiven. And you have a home in heaven. It's not according to your good works or what you say or the spiritual things you try to do. Have you been born again? If not, make that decision this morning. I think in verse number 23, we find the scariest words in the Bible. Here are these people who have done everything they knew to do to make themselves right with God. And they're standing before the Lord and he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Seven scariest words in the Bible. Stand together this morning. You can know that you know. 
that you've been born again. You can know it. And that can happen today if you'll only trust Him. I want to show you what it means by the Word of God to trust in Jesus for salvation. If the Holy Spirit of God has spoke to your heart this morning, if He's convicted your soul this morning, if He's tugging at your heart, then today you come. Make the decision to follow Christ. Walking this aisle don't save you. Being in this church don't save you. I sure can't save you. But I can tell you, you can place your faith in Christ today and be born again. And I can show you how through the precious word of God. If you need him today, don't you wait on this first stanza. You come. If you're here today and you've already been born again, maybe you want to come pray for a lost loved one. Maybe today you want to come pray for a special need in your life. An altar is a great place to do that. Men and women of God have been getting along with the Lord in an altar since time began. And folks, there's nothing wrong with a good old altar, fashion altar experience. So you come do what God wants you to do. You do business with Him if you need to come. If you're here today and you need to join this church, you know this is where God has, has put you to serve, then hey, let's do that. If you need to be baptized, you say, brother, I've been saved, but I've never been baptized. Well, guess what? We've already got the baptistry full. We can handle that today. Whatever you need, God is able. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. If I can help you in any way, that's what I'm here for. But this is your invitation. You do what you know God wants you to do. We don't need pseudo-saints. We don't need false saints. We need those who are the real thing. Who are loving Jesus and loving people who are serving Jesus and serving people, who are, are continuing to encounter Jesus and encountering people. If you need the Lord today for anything, you come.